Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns get set to shine. Mary, the guy heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got it. He got it. Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne! Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time. He got it. Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCauley and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Ash. David, we are by ourselves today for the first time in a little while. It has been a little while, but it's great to be back on this cold Monday morning for me, Max. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We're continuing our position preview series with the somewhat enigmatic power forward position. Uh, for the first time in a while, the Suns ostensibly have their starter at the position, but what else do they have? We'll talk about Saric, we'll talk about trade options, and we'll get into whether Kaminsky, Diallo, and Ubre could see some time at the four. But first, David, do we have anything to recap? We don't have a lot, Max. There's been some schedules floating around, but I guess in this case, no news is good news, uh, especially with the likes of Rubio and Baines playing friendlies at the moment. Uh, and Mikhail played in the USA game, I'm sure mm. some people noticed, where he had 4-4-2 four, four, and two as his line in that game. But Rubio's been doing pretty well. He's had 21-3 and three against Lithuania, 14-7 and seven against Cote d'Ivoire, and 16-3 and three against the Congo. And I'm actually wow. seeing Aaron Baines play next week against your mob, the USA. So maybe I'll have some more to report back on him, hopefully his health is fine because that's the main thing that I'm actually thinking about when watching Rubio film over in Europe. And uh, yeah, definitely Baines next week. And thankfully, Saric and Croatia didn't actually make it. But the schedule does come out, I think, tomorrow your time, Max, but there have been some leaks and things. So I thought we'd take a quick look at that. It's already been reported that Sacramento is going to be our home opener again this season. But Schedule reactions are kind of silly overall, but what are some teams you'll be looking for on the schedule when it does officially come out, Max? Well, first, David, I have to point out that you didn't mention DeAndre Ayton dominating some pro-am game or something, which got people <laughs> excited for some reason. I'm not sure why we care about the number one overall pick from last year, dominating a game with amateurs in it, but uh, you know, congrats to you if you're excited about that. Uh, for me, really, uh, for the schedule, and it's really not even schedule itself it's more about what i'm most interested to see the suns do next season i want to see games against teams like sacramento minnesota dallas new orleans and oklahoma city basically yep. the, the west middle class and see whether the suns play like they belong with those teams this year they don't they're not obviously worse than those teams when they play against them because you know you got to take steps you're not going to go right to the playoffs first you need to be like competitive with the middle teams so mm-hmm. that's going to be the first thing i see it's, it's going to be looking at you know where are those games at in the schedule uh, circling those, and, uh, and and to me, that's more important than how they play, even against like the best teams. I, I kind of still expect them to lose against those teams. How about you? Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I'm going to look for some old teams here. Ricky Rubio against Utah gets some even extra mm-hmm. spice to it now. I think on top of the Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker stuff now with Rubio on the Suns. 
Uh, Baines left Boston in kind of unceremonious fashion. So looking forward to seeing him play up against them. And obviously Saric, which we're going to get into very soon, Max, uh, left uh, with some words for Minnesota, I think. So that's probably a, a great segue into our main talking point for this episode, I think, Max. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I like you bringing up Sar- or, sorry, Baines going back to Boston, though, because I think he's going to get a warmer reception than Kyrie will get, at least. <laughs> probably, probably. <laughs> All right, let's get into the player whom I called the ostensible starter at the power four position, Dario <laughs> Saric. Saric, I want to start with this, David. Before we get into his game, we've got to tackle the important question of how to pronounce his name. Uh, pronunciation's been sort of a sore subject on this podcast, David. <laughs> Our one-legged <laughs> review stems from early issues with Goran Dragic's name. Uh, I believe the correct pronunciation, David Adario's name is Sharich. Sharich, like it's like an H in the after the S. Uh, I believe. I don't, really like, I don't really like saying that. I think I'm going to go with Dario. <laughs> just just saying Dario. What are you What are you going to do with him? Yeah, it, it's a tricky one. You're right. It is Sharich. Uh, and even has a nickname, which is spelt S-I-S-I, which I would think is C-C, but it's actually She-She. So oh. there's plenty of uh, difficult things to bring up here. And yeah, maybe we're both better suited with calling him Dario or the homie or She-She <laughs> potentially, or Super Dario, I think is his other nickname that Ooh, gets thrown like around. Dario. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let, let's stay away from the pronunciation stuff because uh, I don't want to get us in trouble again. Yeah, not our strong point. Uh, all right, David. <laughs> Dario, what do you think at a high level of Dario's game? I quite like him, Max. Um, it, it, it's interesting watching a lot of his stuff back from both Minnesota and Philly because you see kind of two different players there. But my first note here is he has legit size. You know, I think I've seen some talk about him maybe being undersized or, you know, he was talked about when he came into the league as a small forward. But, you know, he's a he's a legit 6'10". Um, guy who's not going to get burnt by many power forwards in the league. So I think automatic upgrade there from what we were playing definitely last year. He might get burnt a little bit by some smaller, more athletic fours, but you know that's a legit power forward that's slotting in next to Aiton. And probably talking about size, my next point is he needs to lose weight. This might be my Grant Williams type <laughs> episode, Max, because uh, if you look at him at Philly versus Minnesota, uh, it, it's a different guy. And uh, I'm, I'm willing to say it. He was chubby last year. Yeah, he was. And especially, I went back and watched some of his stuff from uh, when he was a prospect over in Europe. Yeah. And uh, he looked a lot better back then, David. He was felt. He was moving around he, really well. He's uh, he's not that way anymore, David. Exactly. And we might get into that in a little bit, but maybe that uh, goes into how he was feeling about his, his time in Minnesota. But just touching on the size thing, uh, to finish up here, I, again, have seen some people worry about maybe rebounds and things, but you know he's a, a career 8.3 boards guy per 36 with impressive 2.2 offensive there as well. Sneaks in there a little bit and gets some offensive boards. So you compare that to guys that started at the four last season for us. Bender's an 8 per 36. Warren's a 4.6. Oubre is a 6. And Ryan Anderson, who can forget him, Max, was a 7.3. So in terms of rebounding, uh, not the strongest rebounder out there, but uh, like we're going to be doing all through this, we're going to really be comparing to especially what the Suns had last year. And I think it's an upgrade at the position, and it's definitely an upgrade in terms of rebounding next to DeAndre Ayton. I don't think we're going to get monstered by too many front lines next year with Dario at the power forward. 
So I think you're right probably from a rebounding perspective. I think uh, from a defensive perspective, I'm still concerned, particularly with the uh, rim protection. He was a one percentile block rate guy in Minnesota, uh, which is not great next to DeAndre Ayton. Uh, Mediocre Mm -hmm. steals guy, like you said, not the worst rebounder in the world. Not not great for a big 30th percentile, but not horrible. Oddly good offensive free throw rebounder, David. 95th percentile. (laughs) Sneaky. Very, very sneaky. (laughs) That's a lot of his game, right? He's scrappy. He does a lot of the sneaky, scrappy stuff. Uh, But I actually kind of had the opposite reaction to you, David, digging in further. Uh, I like him less than I thought I was going to, I would say. Uh, One thing he, I think he's really good at uh, and, you know, projects to be extremely good at is shooting. Um, He's been a high 70s, a low 80s percentile, a big three-point shooter. Uh, during mm-hmm. his good Philly year and the Minnesota time last year. I'm, I'm just going to write off his awful 13 games with Philly last year because they were just the worst. Uh, <laughs> but it was offset to an extent, like I said, by the rim, you know, the rim uh, shooting uh, and the rim protection. He's he's not a very good big around the rim, David. Um, mm-hmm. You pointed out on Twitter, he's pretty good at getting N1s, or at least he was last year, oddly. But driving uh, drawing fouls generally not very good. Uh, a pretty awful mid-range player, 28th percentile in Philly, and 8th percentile in Minnesota. Uh, wow. He's sort of a weird player, as kind of what I got from him. I, the swing skill for him, I think it's his playmaking. Uh, yep. Pretty decent in Philly, 81st percentile assist percentage, 76th percentile assist usage, but really fell off in many. Uh, just mediocre in both those things for a big. Clearly has the vision, David. It was kind of what made him an intriguing prospect. So what do you think is limited to him there? Why is he not sort of living up to what he was billed as, as a prospect also, it's sort of this playmaking forward? Yeah, I think you're right. I guess just touching on the defense quickly, I think we've touched on it quite a bit, so we don't need to go over it too much, but it it especially, you know, bears out what we've been saying about DeAndre Ayton taking another leap. Uh, We've made this point before, as I said, but, you know, if you're putting a guy like Dario next to him at power forward, you're going to want to be pretty sure that Ayton's going to be able to protect the rim next year because, as you said, it's going to be a very weak, weak front line from... From that standpoint, he does gamble a lot on defense. I think he knows his weaknesses, particularly when he gets switched onto smaller guys and, and things and gambles for early steals. But he's pretty smart in a, in a team defender environment, uh, you know, rotations and things. Interested to see how much that weight is kind of, you know, affecting his slow feet and things like that. And, uh, you know, he has a neutral wingspan, which is why that rim protection is is so poor for him. But that's why I love the Diallo signing, which we'll get into a bit. But, yeah, moving straight to your passing, because I think you've hit the nail on the head. It is the, the unlocked skill potentially in his game. I, I'm not really all that confident that we're going to see it from him. Um, but, you know, I sure as hell know De- DeAndre Ayton under the basket better keep watching the ball at all times because... Uh, you know, Saric, Saric is is really good at, you know, releasing the ball at the last minute when the defense comes over. So Aiton could potentially get a lot of cheap buckets there. But, you know, he probably hasn't been allowed to, I guess, play the role that, you know, he thinks that he can in the NBA, I think. You know, I've got that after the trade to the Suns with Croatian reporters, he, he was quoted as saying he wasn't given a fair chance in Minnesota. So, you know, can he grab and go a little bit more? You mentioned you watched some of his early European highlights. I I definitely followed him in that draft and and have gone back and looked at some of that too, Max. And that's probably the thing. I think he was probably allowed to be a bit more of a playmaker, whether it's grabbing the defensive rebound and going with it or operating from the elbows a little bit more as a passer. 
So that's where, you know, I could be convinced that he's going to unlock something that we haven't seen in his career to date, Max. Yeah, and I think the question, and you're right, he hasn't been allowed to show some of that stuff he did as a young player in Europe. But the question that I have is, what isn't allowing him? Is it, is it his situation and his team, or is it just the fact that he's in the NBA now and he's kind of overwhelmed uh, when yeah. it comes to the players around him? I think there's probably some truth to both of it. I think, you know, it was easier for him to do the whole playmaking, grab-and-go, uh, big forward guy in Europe just because he was one of the better athletes out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, now he's one of the worst worst athletes on the on the court when he's out there. So I think that's limited him to some extent. But at the same time, I, I think you're totally right, and, and, and Dario's right, that, you know, especially in Minnesota, he wasn't really allowed to play that way. He, I mean, he has some pretty damn good playmaking numbers uh, in his good Philly year. Uh, which mm-hmm. is the second year in the NBA. And I think uh, this Suns team, because there's less talent around him, and, and then also because he's not in Minnesota anymore with Carl Anthony Towns and then Andrew Wiggins on his team, um, he's going to be allowed to you know have the ball a little bit more and be part of a, uh, an offense that I think, I think I've said this before, other than Booker and Aiton, it's going to be, you know, you're going to have to play your role. You're going to have to move the ball around and such. You're not going to get into the ISO stuff um, that we saw some people do. So I, I think it's going to be an interesting uh, spot for him. I'm excited to see it. I am a little uh, nervous that it's kind of a lot of the fact that he's just not an athlete uh, on the NBA level. It allows him to take advantage of his playmaking ability, yeah. and that's kind of the bigger part of it. But, you know, we'll see. I do think there's a little bit of upside there. He's still young. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'd be lying if I said that my overall takeaway from all this wasn't a little bit negative. Yeah, I mean, this is where I could be convinced that Mikhail starts because if Ubre comes back with – um, you know, that same tunnel vision that we saw last year hasn't improved his three-point shot at all. You know, you could go with five guys that are all kind of smart and willing passes and just have an ultra, you know, you know, snappy ball movement offensive system. Shout out Igor Kokoskov. But, you know, the pressure's on Monty there to to show his coaching chops. He's in kind of the honeymoon period at the moment. Can't wait for them to get on the court and, and see what they've got because they've definitely been given better pieces. You mentioned the N1 stuff there. He had 23 N1s last year, which was kind of top 50 and top amongst power forwards in the league. He loves to kind of seek out contact in the paint and try and finish through it. Um, You know, doesn't draw fouls elsewhere. And that, again, is probably um, his unwillingness or, or, you know, inability to kind of attack closeouts and things as a shooter. He just can't get around guys because, you know, as you said, he's probably one of the worst athletes athletes on the floor at any given time but we should probably touch on his stretch capability a bit there as we go into the shooting because that is really what he's been brought in for you know the defense is definitely a negative the passing is uh, you know a potential upside play that we can get out of Dario but you know what we're really looking for is for him to come out and knock open threes and stretch the floor a little bit I think if you're going to start him at power forward he was 36 and a half percent from three Last season, forty uh, percent from straight on, which I think I've mentioned on the pod before mm-hmm. in eighteen nineteen, and he was actually forty percent above the break in general. So just taking out the cor- the corners uh, in the year before that in his best season, as you mentioned in Philly. So the only other thing that I I noticed there is he doesn't shoot a lot from the corners, Max. He's very good from the right and very poor from the left, but both on quite low numbers across his three seasons. And as I said before, struggles to attack on the closeout. So he'd want to be pretty good 
as a three-point shooter because he's not doing much else out there, Max. No, he's not. And I think the other stat there for his three-point shooting that I think is really interesting, and it's actually not a stat about his uh, three-point shooting, it's his free throw percentage, which has been insanely good. The entire time he's been in the NBA, it's been hovering around 90%, high 80s, 90. And uh, the points often made it. It applies more to when you're looking at a prospect because of sample sizes. But oftentimes a free throw percentage can be a more important stat to look at than three-point percentage just because the latter varies so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Starge has been around for a little while, so it may, you know, his three-point percentage is probably a little more indicative of who he actually is. But still, I think there's some upside there because, you know, whenever you have somebody who can shoot 90% from the line, it pretends really good shooting overall. So it wouldn't shock me if uh, Saric, Saric, Dario had a few, <laughs> uh, had a few really, really good three-point uh, shooting seasons in him. And I'm talking like, you know, mid-40s. And when, when you yeah. get to that point, you're, you're providing a whole other element beyond stretching. You're also just making a ton of them, which is uh, really, really nice, and it can kind of change your offense a little bit. So, David, let's let's go ahead and move into kind of the future with him, Noah. Uh, you're a little higher on him than I am. Um, I'll, I'll start with kind of where I am on him, though. I don't yep. see any reason why you'd extend him right now. I don't think it really makes a lot of sense. I think we, we briefly touched on this before. Uh, he's, yes. We just haven't seen him play with this team. We haven't seen him play with Aiden. It's, I don't even know how you'd come to figuring out a contract for Dario right now. Yeah, I think we mentioned that uh, Ryan McDonough would potentially look at it to get a, you know, a steal of a contract if he played his way into it, but that would just be a total gamble and not one that I can see this front office making. I guess for anyone who missed it last time, uh, they can extend him up until basically the start of the season, maybe a few games in uh, is when the deadline is to do that. But yeah, I don't think either of us think that that's a possibility right now, Max. Yeah, McDonough would be trying to create an asset with this $10 million year power <laughs> forward, whereas James Jones is just trying to create a basketball team. So he's yep. probably less concerned about that. But uh, yeah, so, but let's, so let's focus on, I guess we both agree it's probably not going to be an extension. Let's focus a little more on, let's say it goes well with Aiton, but again, not spectacularly. You know, he's not shooting 50% from three and just like changing his game, but like it goes about as well as you could realistically hope it goes. Mm-hmm. What do you see him in terms of like what kind of contract would you think you would get? We, we both know uh, free agency next year is awful. So yes. being a restricted free agent next year may not be quite the uh, hampering that it normally is. I, I mean, I guess personally, I could see him getting big money over a couple of years. What about you? Yeah, I mean, his cap holds around $10 million, which I mm-hmm. guess gives in this case at least gives you a little bit of a gauge of, of where you'd be sitting with him. But yeah, as you said, after Draymond extended that the 2020 – free agency class in general, but particularly power forward is looking pretty thin. You've got a couple of old guys in Millsap and Abaka, uh, the Morai brothers, and and really not much else there. So it's definitely looking like it's got to be Saric or you're going to have to make a trade at some point. If it's Saric and he, he, we do get uh, second-year Philly, Saric, Saric out of him, maybe we uh, you know do look for that kind of 10 million-ish over three years potentially max but that's where you've got to look at the cap sheet and what they've done with you know rubio ubre's contract you know i think um you know all things considered he's gonna have to be really really good to get a long-term contract out of the suns um you know or they're just gonna have to think that they're gonna strike out in the free agencies that they're lining up for at the moment because you know if mikhail takes a leap cali looks good you know, Rubio's solid and, and the fit with Booker looks pretty good in year one. You are really looking at a point where power forward is the, you know, the missing piece or the or the last key post. Would you agree with that in terms of addressing, you know, a final position on this team? 
Absolutely. I think, uh, I mean, we'll get to the rest of the power forward position as it is uh, later yeah. in this podcast, but, you know, given that I've gotten lower on Sarge after this uh, podcast, the research for this podcast, I think that the glaring, glaring hole in this roster now to me is the power forward. Yep, and they didn't draft one, so there's there's not one coming through the ranks, they, I guess. They think they did, kind of, David. <laughs> uh, yeah, they think they they drafted the, the most versatile wing in the history of the NBA, <laughs> but I'm I'm not too sure about that. So yeah, it really does all come down to what version of Dario we get, and that's probably the most interesting discussion that I find throughout this whole thing with Dario. As you said, you're maybe a little lower on him. I, I'm about where. I think I thought I was coming into the podcast just in general of like comparing him to particularly what the Suns had last year. I think it's a clear upgrade. Uh, I think he's, you know, potentially what we all hoped Dragon Bender would be potentially, you know, mm-hmm. particularly after we realized he wasn't going to, you know, live up to being a number four pick with ridiculous upside. All we wanted him to be was a guy that came out there, you know, played smart team defense, hit open shots, which he just couldn't do last year, and probably confidently move the ball around, which we started to see little flashes from Dragon doing that. But that's kind of what we're going to get out of Dario. But just wanted to touch on the fair chance quote a little bit because he is seen as a good locker room guy, a funny guy if you research him online. He noted in that quote his link to Monty Williams being around in his rookie and second year with Philly. So, you know, what do we take from that, Max? Is it just the passing? Is it just he wants to go? You mentioned his you know, second year in the NBA being his kind of best year where he probably had the highest usage of his career. I think maybe his rookie season was a little bit higher because there was just no one on that team. But you know, when he's saying a fair chance, is it that he just wants more minutes and, and more touches? Is that basically what it boils down to? Uh, you know, usually NBA players, because they're all full of themselves because they have to be because it's how they got there. Uh, he just probably thinks he can do everything. I imagine that's the case. Yeah. I, I hope that he is self-aware enough to know that the the reason why he was such a good prospect and uh, why people were so excited about him in Philly is because of the, the big four playmaking stuff. Um, so if that's what he's focusing on, and he's like, yeah, if you guys get the ball running through me a little bit more, I can really help your offense. I can open it up. I can use my vision, which he has, he has really good vision, David. I think his assist numbers are really underperforming where he is. As a, They're as a, super as a low, super low. Yeah, so I, if he can really, if he can get up to the point where he's like, I don't know, four assists a game, you know, something like, you know, maybe a little higher. I, I think he has that in him, and it would just make him such a more interesting player uh, to, to have that season. But if that's what he's talking about, great. That, that's what I want him to see. But, you know, I, I do fear that he's like most NBA players and is like, nah, I could score 23 points a game if you give me the shots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. I think the rookie year, as I said, with no one on that team, he was – basically in contention for rookie of the year before uh, I think it was Malcolm Brogdon came over and and beat him. But, um, you know, he he had a very high usage that year, 24.6 versus 17.8 last season, way more shots, 15.7 per 36 versus 12.5 last season with mini uh, and more assists, as you said, just the 3.1 per 36 in that rookie season versus 2.2 last season but you know that's what it all boils down to a lot of people have mentioned you know his history with Embiid and Towns is great 
you know, coming in and, and him playing with DeAndre Ayton. But we also can't forget that both of those teams essentially moved on from him as well and decided mm-hmm. that he wasn't the long-term piece next to those guys. So that's a little bit of cause for concern here. And, you know, more cause for concern is what you touched on, is is what he thinks of himself. Because if that comment about giving a fair chance means that he's not going to be happy coming in and just playing that stretch four role where, you know, mainly his touches are, are on the outside to hit the open shot, maybe they give him a little bit more playmaking and try and, you know, untap that a little bit from him. But, you know, I'm a little bit concerned if that's his attitude coming in because I think, uh, if anything, although it was seen as a down year, I think Phoenix have kind of brought him in to play that mini to Towns role. Yeah, I think so too. And I think you made the great point earlier. I think we're going to know pretty early on how serious uh, Dario is taking this and how much he wants to try to, you know, use this opportunity. It's going to be how he shows up, what shape he's in. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, I, 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 all listeners, I recommend go back and watch what he looked like before he was drafted. Uh, particularly, I think it was the under 18 European thing where he just looked like a, you know, he was really, really fit out there. And then watch him in Minnesota and, and you'll see there's, there's a marked difference in the way he looks. So if he comes in an, an awesome shape, then I say, Monty, give him a chance. Let's see what he can do a little bit. Uh, I need I need an off season Instagram photo of Dario Saric, Max. <laughs> yeah, we're only really getting them from uh, Booker so far, and that's not missing them uh, from other players. Yeah. So come on, other guys. Give me, oh, give me Rip play. Dario. Give me ripped <laughs> Dario. Watch Game of Thrones, uh, Rip Dario. <laughs> but uh, all right, so I think Dave, we want to get into a couple of power forward trade ideas, some upgrade ideas before we move on to the rest of the roster. Yeah, I think we should look at it because, you know, as you said, it could be the last missing piece. You know, ha- you know, glass half full here, thinking about everything else working out. Mikhail turning out to be the player we all expected. Kelly playing into his contract. Aiton taking a leap. Booker being the star that we, you know, raved about with Callan last episode. It, it could be the position. And if, if Dario doesn't work out, there's a few players that are, you know, either on the market or could be on the market in the future. Uh, no shocking names here. Everyone's mentioning them. Kevin Love's one, Blake Griffin's another, and then Aaron Gordon seems to be a bit of a favorite amongst Suns fans for reasons that I understand and don't understand at the same time. Max. I understand so, them. There's a lot of Suns fans who uh, went to U of A, David. That's <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think we should look at them because I think the Suns will be a player in the right circumstance for all three of these guys, Max. Yeah, I think they're interesting. Also, all three of them, uh, they're varying levels of good, and they're also a varying contract situations and age situations. Yes. So I think it's they're interesting to look at. So uh, you want to start with Blake Griffin. I can run down real quick what he's going to make over the next couple of years and his ages. He's going to make $34 million next year, $37 million the year after that, and $39 million the following year as a player option, which mm-hmm. he'll probably exercise, I'm guessing. You would think so. Uh, at ages 30, 31, and 32. So basically late prime. You need to get up to $25.8 million, David, to trade for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so essentially you basically have to include Tyler Johnson in any trade that happens this year to get him. There might be ways to make it work with Ubre's salary. Uh, but, you know, I don't even want to bring that up with Suns fans. It makes make them mad. So, David, what do you think? What's, like, fair value for Blake Griffin? How If, if say, that the Pistons underperform and they're looking to trade him at the deadline next season, he's not happy, they're not happy, the Suns are sort of a surprise team, as you're saying, they're, they're playing really well other than the glaring hole power forward. What are we looking at in terms of compensation? 
let, let's forget any players just to make up salary here. I think we've touched on it more than enough times. The Suns can easily get 32, 33 million in expiring. So that's what a team like Detroit is probably going to be looking for in terms of the first thing in a Blake trade is just going to be, you know, getting money off the books. So we can tick that box. And, and unfortunately, Tyler Johnson's going to be part of that um, for my fan club, at least, Max. But if we go past that and, and I guess, assume that they've got the salary figured out, you know, I would say you're probably looking at one of our young prospects, whether you have to go all the way to a guy like Mikael Bridges or whether you can throw in a Cam Johnson or Ty Jerome if they're looking good to start their rookie campaigns. And then, I mean, I'm pretty hopeless with this stuff, Max, but you're probably looking at at least two first-round picks on top of that, right? Yeah, I mean, probably not good ones, like protected ones. I think yeah. maybe. It, depends, it sort of depends on what some of the young guys look like. Like, say, Cam Johnson looks awesome. You know, he's having one of those, like, you know, oh, this guy might be actually a real player. Then maybe you can use him instead of one of the first. And just thing. to also, say you include Sarich in it too, because I think he, you know, his money might make sense in there too. So maybe that he'd be intriguing. Yeah. And just, I've literally just thought about this off the top of my head. I believe Detroit were one of the teams that were going to steal Cam Johnson away <laughs> from the Suns. And that's why they took him at number 13. So yeah, maybe there's something in that. You do see it often with these trades that they always go back to a prospect that they coveted early on, Max. So yeah, that, that's a good shout. He could be in there. And you mentioned Ty Jerome. It's possible. I do think if you're trading Tyler Johnson, it's in part because you have another thing to be your backup point guard. So maybe he's the one who looks good. Or maybe mm-hmm. you're, maybe this trade gets bigger and you end up having to take it back Reggie Jackson for your troubles here. So I, I don't know. It's interesting. But, yeah, I, I think you're right. Over-focusing on the money right now is probably not the right way to go. I think you've uh, identified the correct you know, value range, two firsts, or maybe, like, if you include Mikel, then you don't have to do the first. Although I'm, I'm hoping Mikel plays himself out of even consideration. For a trade like this, uh, mm-hmm. we'll see. But yeah, no, I, I think you got it. I think he's going to be. You think he's more valuable than Love and Gordon? I, I think he he is by quite a bit. Yeah, the health's the only issue, yeah. which obviously Blake and Love both come with some health concerns. But Blake's a little bit more, I guess, long standing than Kevin Love. So you can probably talk yourself into Kevin Love a little easier. He's also, uh, I would say, Blake is better and younger, which makes it interesting. Yeah, and just, yeah, the peak of his powers, Blake is easily a better player than Kevin Love. So, yeah, I think when you go to ultimate value at the end, it's really hard to, you know, look at these things, the leverage at the time and things. But right here, right now, I would uh, give Blake the shade just over Kevin Love in terms of overall value. Yeah, let's go to Love real quick. Uh, So Love's contract, he makes less money, but he has it for an extra year. So he's got $29 31 million, 31 million, then 29 million. Ages 31, 32, 33, and 34. You need to get to about 21.7 million to trade for him. So you basically still need to include Tyler because it's really hard to get there without him. Trust me, I looked at it. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's kind of the same trade except for like one fewer asset maybe because of that last year or maybe two fewer. What do you think, David? Do you have to give up a first in this trade? Can you just get away with maybe Tyler Johnson and Cam Johnson and that's it? I mean, these, again, things are really hard to look at because players have have really dominated the leverage game for the last couple of years. Like, I I probably couldn't see him doing it because he's the ultimate professional. But, you know, all it would take would Kevin Love, you know, Cleveland to start really poorly, Kevin Love to be dominating and look healthy. 
and then you leak out some comments about how he's not happy and and wants out and you know even with all those years left on his contract we've seen players like Jimmy Butler and things really tank their value by just being negative presences again yeah. I wouldn't expect someone like Kevin Love to do that but that is a way or a reason why you could potentially end up landing him you know without giving any first round picks up or maybe you know if we compare it to Blake uh, potentially it's just one first round pick and a prospect and and that first round pick is you know protected pretty mightily um again a, a lot would come down to who's chasing Kevin Love you and I privately have talked quite a bit about Portland potentially being yeah. an option for him when Nurkic comes back and and they've got Whiteside's big fat expiring to to give off so that's another you know uh position where you know, depending how many other teams are knocking down the door, the Suns find themselves in. But yeah, I think I lean Kevin Love over Blake uh, and probably even with that extra year, it's to do with both the health and what I, I guess, suspect would be the eventual cost, which yeah, with Kevin Love, I think you've nailed it. I think it would be slightly cheaper than Blake Griffin. I think you're much more within the realm of realism here too, because I think you got that whole uh, James Jones, Kevin Love relationship. Yep. I could see James Jones being really interested in, in freaking Kevin Love over here. He obviously likes Kevin Love's player type, uh, which is not just white. Uh, he also can shoot. Uh, <laughs> and also, like you said, he's got that extra year. That four years may look unattractive to certain teams, especially contenders. But to the Suns, who can't really bring in big free agents typically, at least in this current iteration. You know, maybe having four years of a player locked down who's a good player, who's at your position of greatest need, isn't the scariest thing in the world for them. You know, and it's not like he's not on a super max. He's making around thirty billion dollars a year, which is a lot. But it's like it's closer to like you know, in between Booker's max and the mid max. It's not insane money. You can build around that to an extent. So yeah, it wouldn't shock me at all if if the Suns got Kevin Love. In fact, if you asked me like who is the quote unquote star player, I guess just big name who the Suns are most likely to acquire, it would be him. Yeah, I think you've again hit the nail on the head in terms of this front office being realistic about what their goals are and, and what they're uh, in the market for or, or can potentially get. And yeah, a, a healthy Kevin Love looking good to start the season. I could see the front office just saying, this is the best player we're going to get in trade or free, even free agency going forward. So let's just use our spare money that's coming up and, and lock a guy in. And, you know, the hopeless romantic in me would love to see a Kevin Love, Ricky Rubio reunion as well, Max, which, you know, putting it out there is exactly why I'm, I'm on the Kevin Love train. If he looks good, that's going to be the big thing to start the season. That's funny. I forgot about that. That would be kind of cute, wouldn't it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, also excellent rebounder, obviously. I mean, he used to be just in a completely absurd rebounder. I mean, there's some things about Kevin Love that would be really nice to have around. Uh, we might have a good rebounding team for once with Kevin Love and DeAndre Ayton, Max. I can't, I can't remember that in my lifetime, David. <laughs> Think uh, of all the outlets. <laughs> I love the outlets. Let's move to Aaron Gordon, though, because he's sort of like, he's a very different situation. Uh, three years left. 20 million, 18 million, 16 million for ages 24, 25, and 26. So he's significantly younger and significantly cheaper than both the guys we just talked about. You only need to get to 14.9 million to get to him. Um, but again, I, we don't have to get obsessed with the, the cap nerd uh, salary buildups, but it's still really hard to get to him for the Suns, other than including Tyler Johnson, just because of the way the Suns' salaries are structured. Bunch of guys who make four to five million, so you, you can't really put them all together without having too many roster positions going out and having a hard time for Orlando to match. But anyway, that's all nerdy stuff. 
Let's talk about – imagine it's just Tyler Johnson straight up for Aaron Gordon. What, what are we including in that trade, do you think? Again, leverage is a big thing here. You know, yeah. if Orlando are getting off Aaron Gordon, it's because the whole league has seen that they're going in another direction and, and don't necessarily want Gordon around. So can they demand, you know, multiple first-round picks for a guy in a situation quick, like David, that? By the way, I just want to jump in to say that's a very realistic scenario because they've been drafting big guys over and over lately. Exactly. And, you know, they, they almost reluctantly re-signed him on a declining scale. Like, all the signs are there that they don't potentially believe in Aaron Gordon as a long-term yeah. piece of the Orlando Magic. And I think the league would know that. So, you know, does it only take one first-round pick plus salary in a situation like that, Max? Again, I'm not great with these things, but, you know, the fan in me as a, you know, that this is how I always look at these things, is how how would I react to certain levels of the trade? And if it was one first round pick um, plus Tyler Johnson, I'd be, oh, okay, it's it's worth a look, even as the, you know, the person who's not all that high on Aaron Gordon. If we're giving more than that away, if there's a, a prospect thrown in there or an extra first round pick, that's where I start to probably hate the trade. So yeah, I, I can really only look at it from my own fandom standpoint and, and kind of say that's where the value would sit for me. Yep, I agree. If if, his con- if he was like a, on a real max or something like that, I'd be like, hell no. <laughs> no chance to go for Aaron Gordon. But his yeah. contract is really nice. It, the fact that it declines, that $16 million that last year, which is also tied with Rubio's last year, there, there's some things like there. Um, but, man, it's just the shooting issues would be a problem. I get he's a defender and a rebounder, but he's also sort of like a – what I hear about him is he's a really like bad team defender. He's, he's a decent on-ball defender for somebody of his size. He just hasn't really learned to play team defense. And, and yeah, even more on the point, I, went, I forgot about this too. They, they signed Vucevic to, oh, was it a, a pretty big deal, four years, 100, something like that. I, I do Correct. think they're going to trade him. I think that he's probably the second most realistic player for the Suns to go get, given positional yep. need. And, and also the Suns, you know, they're not unaware that their fans are U of A fans. So I could see it. Um, I think it's going to be, I mean, Tyler would be attractive to them because he's expiring. I think Tyler would probably be in the trade. Um, and then, you know, some sort of a first or something. I, I don't think it costs very much. Um, yeah, I, I think Aaron Gordon's one of those players who came in. He was exciting. He won gun contests. There's a lot of hype around him. But I think a lot of NBA teams look at him and go like, yeah, I'm not really sure what you're doing with this guy if you're trying to win games in the playoffs. <laughs> do a whole lot of things that are, you know, that useful. So, yeah, we'll see. He's an interesting player. Not exactly like-for-like, like, Max, but in terms of strengths and weaknesses and, and what they do on the court, Aaron Gordon isn't too dissimilar to Kelly Oubre. So if you're trading yeah. for Aaron Gordon, then the Kelly Oubre signing has just become a disaster for some reason or well, another. Well, unless, unless uh, what if you're trading Kelly Oubre for him, David? Pick this right up. That's true. And, and maybe, you know, there, there's something in that. But uh, I guess to, to round out on Aaron Gordon, I don't like Kelly Oubre and Aaron Gordon on the same team. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not a good idea at all. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> uh, although now, man, that I actually just hate myself for, for coming up with that because that trade actually <laughs> could make some sense because, you know, they're, they're desperate for uh, athleticism with the four and kind of basically just be, you know, upsizing Kelly a little bit in some ways. Yep. <laughs> all right. Uh, David, you want to move to Did You Know before we get to the rest of this roster? Let's do it. Max, 
With a large portion of this pod dedicated to new Phoenix Sun, Dario Saric, it only seems right to get to know him a little better in Did You Know this week. So did you know Saric is one of seven Croatian players in the NBA this year? Early test for you. How many of the other six can you name, Max? Oh, man. Dragon Bender. One. Uh, all right. I, th- I think I'm tapped out. <laughs> <laughs> we got Bojan Bogdanovic in Utah, Mario Hazonia in Portland, Ante Zizic in Cleveland, Ivaga Supak in the Clippers. You mentioned Bender, and the last one is Luka Samanic, who was drafted by the Spurs. But weirdly, Croatia won't be playing in the upcoming World Cup in China, despite their strong national team, which might be a blessing as we already have Rubio and Baines competing as new sons, as I mentioned before, Max. Saric only also only joins Bender and Gordon Giracek as the only Croatian-born players to play for the Phoenix Suns in their history. Brief aside on Giracek, and I can't actually remember if I've told this story on the pod before, but I decided that I love it so much that it deserves to be told twice, if that's the case, Max. <laughs> as you probably know, Steve Nash once got out of the bathroom 30 minutes before a game was about to start and found Gordon Giracek unconscious on the locker room floor. Apparently, he had been talking too much to Shaquille O'Neal and he chokeholded him to sleep 30 minutes before the game, Max. <laughs> Turns I don't out think you have told this why. I do recall it. I don't think you told it. <laughs> Turns out Giracek may have actually deserved it a little bit though, Max, as I recently read that when he got his big payday in Utah, he tried to get his wife to sign a post-nuptial agreement, which only left her with what she would have earned if she stayed at her job before meeting him. So you can take that chokehold there, Gordon. Hold but on, funnily enough... On. A post-nuptial agreement? Is that what they call it in Australia? Uh, well, that's what they called it on the internet. Uh, really? We don't really have those agreements at all, but it was definitely after they got married, hence the post, Gordon tried to get his wife to sign this agreement to protect his Utah paycheck, which I thought was pretty dirty. But funnily no, enough, Max, that... So David, just, at the lawyer to me, just has to do a quick lesson here. It's a prenuptial agreement in America. I don't know. I guess they call it post-nuptial on the internet. And they're actually pretty common, but go on. They're common prenuptials though, right? Not post-nuptials. Well, a prenuptial generally means that you keep everything you made before you were married. Um, gotcha. Or you know, whatever arrangement you want. It's basically to protect marital assets of somebody who is much richer than his or her spouse going into the marriage. But anyway, go on. All right. But funnily enough, that might only be my second favorite Shaq story, with the winner being the time Shaq chased the trainer down the hallway completely naked because he was <laughs> late to come and massage all the players. But back on to Sharich now. His path to the NBA was a little less common than most Max, having declared for the draft in 2012 and 2013 before withdrawing both, both times. He eventually was drafted in 2014 by Philly and then still took some time to come over to the NBA. He came as a pretty well-decorated rookie, though, having won FIBA Europe under-16 and under-18 MVPs, Croatian League Finals MVP in 2013, FIBA Euro Young Player of the Year in 13 and 14, and the Adriatic League MVP in 2014 also. In that rookie season, he came second behind Malcolm Brogdon in the Rookie of the Year race, which we mentioned before, with 12.8 points, 6.3 rebounds, and 2.2 assists, a stat line that would be pretty decent for the Suns this season. But Max, another quick test for you. 
Which son came seventh in that Rookie of the Year race with just three votes? Oh, God. That was the 2014 class. Was it TJ Warren? It was Marquise Chris. Oh, you're in right. 2016. Sorry, I was about his draft year, not his actual year he came in. Yeah, uh, trick question. Wow. Yeah, those votes were wasted. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sarge's career has been a little under the radar ever since then with both Philly and the Wolves. So instead, we'll finish up with perhaps the more interesting fact that the trade to the Suns was already the fifth time he or his rights have been traded, Max. And of course, I'm going to put you on the spot with a couple of them, Max. In 2011, well before Sharich was even a top prospect, the draft pick used to eventually pick him was moved in a giant three-team deal involving which current famous free agent, Max? Um, so I, I know Orlando ended up having the pick because they had to trade it. Was it Dwight Howard? Ooh, you might have jumped the shark a little bit on the next one, but this one in 2011 was Carmelo Anthony deal from Denver to New York, which I believe involved 13 active players and lots of draft picks. Sharich's second team, the Wolves, were actually the third team in the deal, and other notable eventual players in that trade were Jamal Murray and Jacob Podal, of all people. But then in 2012, Max, Denver moved the pick again in another big trade, and as you mentioned, it was a four-teamer and involved 12 active players. As you jump the shark on, the biggest of them was a guy who's technically not a free agent right now, but was moved to the Lakers at the time, and that was the infamous Dwight Howard to LA trade. Former son Earl Clark and Jason Richardson were in that deal, but so was Mo Harkless, Vujovic, who was uh, brought up before, Iguodala, and Andrew Bynum, actually, in the deal between Orlando, the Lakers, Denver, and Saric's first team, Philadelphia. Also in the deal through his draft rights, Max, and I'll put you on the spot because you got Dwight Howard right. I wasn't going to quiz you on this one, but probably your favorite young guy in the league, Max. Really? Landry Shamit? Landry Shamit's draft rights were in that deal, Max. Wow. wow. Fast forward to 2014, and Sharich is then moved on draft night from Orlando to his first team, Philadelphia. And, of course, the centerpiece of that deal is one-time Phoenix Sun, Alfred Payton. Max, you know whose draft rights were included again? <laughs> Shamit's in that one, too? Landry Shamitz are in that one too, which I thought was a nice little tidbit to this overall segment. And then in 2018, he goes from Philadelphia to Minnesota in a deal that sends Jimmy Butler to the Sixers and also includes Arizona native Jared Bayless, plus a few other pieces, which brings me to the fifth and final move, the one that finally brings him to the Suns. Sharich and pick 11 for the sixth pick in the 2019 NBA draft. And that brings us to our last Little fact of the segment, Max, with Sharich being a pick 12 and Cam Johnson a pick 11, the Suns now have pick 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 on the roster. That's right. Kaminsky, Bridges, Johnson, Sharich, and Booker make up that sequence. And if the Suns had have held on to TJ Warren, they could have gone 9 through 15, ending with Kelly Oubre. There aren't too many decent pick 14s in the league, but one to keep... An ion with Romeo Langford, Michael Porter Jr., Bam Adebayo, Campaign, TJ Warren, as I mentioned, John Henson, Marcus Morris, and Patrick Patterson, all the active names who could fill 
the 14th pick spot for the Suns. But that's it for this week, Max. I think it's time we talk about some of the other possible power forwards on this team. Let's do it. But first, did you see Landry Shamit go back at Bill Simmons on Twitter? I did, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, it was so great. Listeners, if you didn't see it, Bill Simmons tried to call Landry Shamit out for not playing on the USA team, and Landry's basically like, dude, I'm hurt. <laughs> I'm trying to recover, <laughs> idiot. That was pretty great. But uh, moving on, let's go on to the first of the possible backup power forwards, Frank Kaminsky. Uh, cue the booze from the U of A listeners. I'm going to start by comparing him with Dario a little bit, David, and I want to get your reaction to this. So I just kind of looked at it statistically and also watched him, a little bit of him on YouTube just to kind of mm-hmm. get a feel between the difference of them. Uh, Kaminsky's similarly bad on defense, not as scrappy, but a slightly better rim protector, due probably only because he's a seven-footer. Uh, still bad there, though. Still not good. Uh, passing numbers are actually better than where Sarge has been lately. And more consistent doesn't show the same uh, court vision, but he does, you know, move the ball a little bit. He's not bad in that area. Uh, shooting has been basically the same from everywhere other than the corners. He's just, yep. as you pointed out, awful from the corners, which is bizarre. Uh, free throw shooting is worse, but his mid range game is a lot better, buoyed by his short mid range game, uh, where you know, Dara is just horrible in the short mid range from like four to 14 feet. I'm not sure why he's like absolutely dreadful from there. Uh, Kaminsky's fine. Uh, and then his foul drawing is slightly better. He has a similar odd penchant for drawing and ones. Uh, I think uh, Dario was at like 98th percentile. He's like 80-something. So both are weirdly good at that. At least they were last year. But yep. also when I, was, when I was going through this, David, what I was struck by the most is kind of how similar these players are. I think Sarge is a little more versatile, a, a little better upside. Uh, yep. He can do a few more things, especially earlier on. He showed that kind of stuff. But Kaminsky kind of did the same stuff as him last year. Uh, he's taller, so he's better around the rim as a rim protector. I think he's more of a center. Ultimately, though, this just kind of says more about why I'm low on Sarge. I'm not, I'm not high on Kaminsky, David. I just I think they're kind of similar, and that and that makes me uh, sad. I guess, David, what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, to me, Frank's still a center, so to talk mm-hmm. about him in this section is is a little bit weird. But we are looking at it, I guess, through the Suns' front office's eyes, and I think they have brought Kaminsky in to play that that backup role. And as you said. It's very much a like-for-like like backup. And, you know, I'd prefer a bit of a different look, which we'll get onto probably with our next player after Frank here, Max. But, yeah, I, I did a similar look to you, and it, it is funny. You, you bring up both of their four- and three-year careers, jump to, you know, either per 36 or per 100 possessions here, and you're looking at pretty much the same player, Max. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's pretty crazy. You know, Dario edges him on kind of all the shooting percentages, as you said, a little bit better of a passer and rebounder. As you said, Frank, a bit better of a rim protector and protects the ball a little bit better as well, which mm-hmm. was surprising to me. Dario's a little bit loose with it compared to Frank. Frank's got really low turnover numbers um, even per 36, which is, you know, great for just bringing in another solid basketball player, which, as you said, James Jones certainly has a type and it's not just white, Max. But, um, you know, I think Dario gets the edge just in terms of his versatility uh, around the court. But you're right, it, they are very, very similar, uh, particularly if you look at their whole careers. I think the mistake some people might make is is going and looking at, just last year, which obviously can be a nice window. But, um, you know, Frank was playing pretty well off the bench towards the end of last year, whereas Dario was, I guess, uh, still starting 
for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And that's probably the other point across their whole career. Dario's got 150 career starts to just 23 for Frank. So they may be playing against slightly different competition, which yeah. is, again, why I would, if I had to put them both against the wall and pick one to start at power forward, I'm definitely going with Dario Saric. But it does appear like the Suns have essentially just got two very like-for-like players here to play the power forward position next year, Max. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And don't I hope nobody gets me wrong on this. I'm not saying I want, I'd rather start Kaminsky or even think it's close. Like, Saric yeah. definitely still the, the higher outside player, the better player. I just was a little concerned by the fact that they're similar, really, more than anything else. And really, it just led me to be concerned about the spot in general, David. I mean, I, before we studied for this podcast, I would have told you the power forward is the weakness on this roster. But I yeah. think that crystallized for me even more, just mainly because I became lower on the guy who is not a guaranteed starter. Because I think, uh, didn't Monty say the only guaranteed starters are Rubio, Booker, and Aiton? So I guess there's a chance that Dario doesn't start. But I think we all know that it's the most likely outcome. Uh, David, do you have any thoughts before we get to uh, getting to, you know, Kelly Oubre and Cam possibly playing for? How about the other guy the Suns signed who uh, may be taking some of those minutes? That's uh, Czech Diallo. Yeah, that's the the guy that I was alluding to in in the Kaminsky little section there is I think you could go glass half empty with Diallo and just say he's a, you know, usual DMP getter on this team. And and even then it wouldn't be the end of the world because, you know, it's a total no risk play here. But, you know, half glass, sorry, glass half full, I should say, it's a great plan B on a night to night basis with, you know, potential matchups. Uh, and if Sharich and, and Frank just really aren't offering anything at the power forward spot, again, like Frank, I think he might actually be a five, but he offers, you know, real athleticism on this team and, and real rim protection as well. So, you know, if you're thinking about him as a four, maybe with Aaron Baines, who can stretch, you know, he likes to shoot from the corners and stuff a bit. That's one thing that we should note on Diallo is he cannot shoot for the life of him. So, you know, you're not expecting him in in that scenario as a power forward. But if you've got a big out there that can stretch the floor a little bit like Aaron Baines can, he's an awesome kind of roll and lob threat. Uh, A great offensive rebounder, you know, 10% offensive board percentage, which is pretty good. I think DeAndre was 11% in his rookie year. So that's kind of a bit of a benchmark there for you. Um, You know, and maybe a long-term good combo with DeAndre Ayton, which, you know, as we saw in that Pro-Am footage, if he can actually shoot threes next year or future years, we do have Diallo as a team option the following year, Max. So, you know, there is a a little potential with a combo both next year and then in the future with DeAndre Ayton, maybe making up for, you know, some of Ayton's weaknesses, I suppose, Max. Absolutely. I, I love it. I So I had the opposite reaction digging into DL than I had to Sarge. I got a lot higher on him, actually. I mean, listen, we're still talking about the realm of the backup backups and the lottery ticket-ish kind of stuff. But I do really like what I'm seeing with him. Uh, he's still young, is one thing to point out. He's, what is that, 22? He's very young. Yeah. Um, his finishing on offense is really, really good. Uh, he doesn't create for himself or others even a little bit. But he's a super efficient finisher due to his athleticism more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, defensively, decent blocks, good seals, guy who fouls way too much. The key here is going to be that teaching him how not to foul, which mm-hmm. sometimes can happen. And, or sometimes you have Marquise Chris who just doesn't know how to do that. So we'll see. He's young. We'll see if he clicks. Uh, interesting. You say he's a total on shooter, which he has been so far, taking only four threes in his entire career. 
But he's got a pretty good free throw percentage uh, history so far. He's been in the mid-70s-ish, not awful. Listen to this. He was the 98th percentile among bigs in the short mid-range from 4 to 14 feet. Wow. He was in the 73rd in the long mid-range, 14 feet to 3. 95th percentile overall in the mid-range. I thought that was fascinating. Kind of shows that he has some touch, maybe, that you know is getting a little underrated. I mean, his quantities are very low there, but... Just the fact that he's making those shots at such a high percentage and his free throw percentage isn't bad makes you think, you know, we haven't seen it at all, but maybe there's a three-point shooting upside there. The main thing you're looking for there is touch, so maybe. So after seeing that and, you know, just the athleticism with him, I I think there actually may be some upside here with him as a kind of a rim-running defensive uh, three-point shooting, like a four-slash-small-ball-five. I think it's unlikely that he gets there. But I do think there are in some ways where he's actually more tantalizing to fill in, you know, an important NBA role than even maybe someone like Dario has. Sounds like he's got a little bit of Brandon Clark in him. <laughs> a very, very tiny, small <laughs> inkling of a bit, David. <laughs> but yeah, I think you touched on it before. It is worth noting this is very much like the Jalen LeCue conversation yeah. where it sounds like we're raving about a guy, but it's purely because it's a total no-risk potential reward scenario here with Diallo and you know I, I'm not that high on him coming in and competing and and getting a spot in this rotation but I guess not comparing him so much to Sharich but comparing him to a guy like Kaminsky you know I just love the you know yin and yang sort of scenario here where you've got Diallo to come in uh, when matchups are, are posing a bit of a problem, when you need more athleticism on the floor, when you need a guy that can finish around the rim as a lob threat, as you said, very, very good finisher in both the mid-range and at the bucket. So, you know, hyper-athlete uh, gives the Suns a different look. And, you know, we noted it when we went through and graded all these moves that the Suns made. I just thought with that position almost filling the last roster spot, I thought they nailed it with what was left available uh, versus what their needs were. So I'm excited to see Diallo play. I guess we're getting to a point here where we're essentially saying, you know, power forward being the biggest weakness on the team, it's also going to be, you know, a hotly contested position. And as you said, Monty's going to throw the ball out and uh, make one of these guys earn their minutes, which I think is great. Uh, And just touching on the fouls, even with that, you know, not going to be the worst thing in the world to to have a guy out there that's willing to lay a hard foul every now and then, Max. No, they're not going to have very many of those. So that's kind <laughs> of the thing with him, right? Is Diallo, while he's at a you know ostensibly crowded position, he really does something that not a whole lot of guys in the team do. Maybe nobody else in the team does. So he yep. has a path to playing time. And I think so. The comparison I'm going to make to where it could go well with him—they're not the same kind of player, but. Remember Kevon Looney with the Golden State Warriors was just a joke and a horrible player for his first couple of years in the league. Mm-hmm. And then he just kind of figured it out on defense. Like something clicked where he just learned where to be and how not to foul, but how to play a good NBA defense. And listen, he was in a much better ecosystem than Diallo, uh, you know, who's probably going to be in, especially defensively. But if there's a similar click moment in Diallo's brain where he can play big minutes without fouling too much and, and plays good defense and maybe even – you know, it starts to stretch it out a little bit more with that touch I'm showing. I, I think there's something there for a surprise breakout. But again, you, you, you know, hit the right point here. Uh, this is in the Jalen McHugh uh, zone. Uh, maybe maybe slightly higher level than the Jalen McHugh zone because we're talking about a guy who has played, you know, NBA minutes, been useful to some extent. But yep. still, it's, it's unlikely that he's going to get to this 
this point that I'm saying that he has a chance to get to. Yeah, I think that the same fans that were calling for Rashawn Holmes and DeAndre Ayton to maybe share the floor together a little mm. bit last year are going to be the ones that are potentially calling for Diallo to get on the floor with DeAndre Ayton in certain patches, particularly Definitely. if it's the Ayton that we saw last season, Max. So I think that's a, a nice positive note to end Diallo on, and, and maybe we should jump into the last two guys that you mentioned at the top there. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's quickly do Cam, because that's going to take less time. Uh, I don't <laughs> think Cam Johnson is going to play power forward this year. I don't think he's ever going to be able to play it in all likelihood. Uh, maybe in the, you know, really small lineups against uh, similarly uh, weak teams in that yeah. area. But this season, I, I think it'd be it's a lot to ask for him to get those minutes. And you've made this point before. If you can't get the minutes there, it's going to be difficult for him to get the minutes at all. Yeah, I'll just double down on my kind of lack of care minutes early on in the season overall and say that they definitely won't be at the four. And and even long-term, just because you mentioned it, Max, you know, you kind of take away the mismatch capability of a guy like Cam Johnson, who's 6'9", by playing him at the four. So Mm -hmm. I just don't see any reason to play him at power forward, uh, particularly with the light frame that he's got early on in his career. So, yeah, I think we can draw a line through that, at least as far as I'm concerned, with Cam Johnson playing minutes at power forward this season. I agree. I mean, I hope it happens. It'd be a nice surprise, but I don't see it. So let's go to Kelly Oubre who I think played, he played a decent amount of the four for the Suns last year because they had nothing else to do there. Um, <laughs> and it works to an extent in certain lineups. Obviously, he's not traditional four size. He's more like six seven with big, long arms rather than a traditional six nine power forward. So And dreamy eyes. And dreamy eyes. That, that, that could help. <laughs> that could help a lower defender to sleep. But uh, I, I am sort of buying the idea, David, to an extent that the NBA is about to shift bigger now that the Golden State Warriors specter isn't looming over everything. So I think it's going to get harder and harder to get away with, with somebody like him uh, at the four. But I do think he's one of the best five players in the Suns, along with Rubio, Booker, Mikel, and Ayton. And when you're a very bad team, you can't afford to get cute. So I think we're going to see him there uh, quite a bit. Yeah, I think it all comes down to lineups. That's the most interesting discussion here. Uh, I think there were two rare positive five-man lineups last year uh, that had Ubre in them and had him at the four. Um, you know, last season's, you know, Valley Boys lineup of Tyler, Booker, mm-hmm. Mikhail, Ubre, and Ayton was probably the best five that they put out there, particularly towards the end of the year. So I think we both agree that we should see him, you know, in little spurts at the four in certain lineups. If you kind of look at that last season's Valley Boys lineup, another lineup that I'd throw in there and, and dovetails beautifully off the, the back of our Diallo discussion is if you just wanted to go super long and athletic to end a game, for instance, where you need defense, Chuck Booker at point, put Mikhail Ubre, Diallo and Ayton around him. And all of a sudden you've just got this ultra athletic, ultra long lineup with Booker closing. Obviously, you'd want Kelly and maybe Ayton to have a bit of an uptick in their shooting this season just to offset having Diallo in there. Hopefully, Mikhail turns out to be a much better shooter than he showed in his rookie season, which I both, you know, I think we both agree is more likely than unlikely to happen. But yeah, that's where it gets interesting, just throwing around lineups. You know, I'll throw it to you if there's a, another lineup that you can think of with Kelly at the four, which really optimizes. Uh, him at that position because finally there's some pieces to actually throw around here, Max. 
Yeah, I love that idea. And I haven't been thinking much about Booker at point lineups yet. Maybe that's we'll, we'll get to that a little bit when we get to the point guard preview. Um, yeah. But I love that idea right there. That's a great idea. I think it's really interesting. Um, I, I'm still really married to Booker at point guard to a large extent. So I think you're going to get your best players out there with, with that lineup. And I think that's a nice example you just showed. I mean, Diallo is probably not one of our best players, but it could certainly yeah. – uh, you know, facilitate the other best players better than some of the other guys. I think he makes up for a lot of what Booker and Aiton don't do. But I, I don't. So I don't have any lineups like that to talk about yet. I wish I did, but I do have one more point that's sort, sort of similar on the Ubre four thing. Um, yep. Our bench fours kind of suck, David, or, or aren't fours at least. Uh, Kaminsky, we've talked about more of a five, also not very good. Uh, Diallo, maybe even more of a five, and questionable whether he's any good. Uh, Cam Johnson, we don't think he's a four, so. Oubre is probably going to get a lot of minutes uh, with bench units at the four, in addition to closing lineups, yeah. I would think. So that's a, that's a way to get him there, and I think that also makes some sense for him in terms of who he's going up against. Not a lot of teams have fours on the bench who are going to bruise you, I would think. So maybe that's where he gets a lot of minutes there. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. Dave, have you thought at all about Oubre as a four on the bench unit? I definitely have. You know, we had the discussion about staggering, uh, yeah. particularly if he starts to get Mikhail in early. That's another way to get Ubre back in with the bench unit and, and be a key piece of that. I think it's quite funny, and we're almost ending here uh, and ending the, the four-position um, episode here by saying that, you know, we thought the Suns addressed the need at power forward, and, and now essentially they've just got four centres on the team yeah, instead, yeah. Max, which I think is hilarious. So, you know, to start the season, I think I think we'll at least look at Sharic and, and Kaminsky and Diallo as the four depth chart, but 20 games in, it could look very, very different after we see them on the floor and maybe see how bad the defense is, particularly at that position. And maybe that's where we see a lot more Ubre at the four just out of necessity. So, yeah, I think bringing him back with the bench unit, uh, with some shooting, which I guess... I've said the rookies won't play a lot, but that's one way that they could get on the floor is, you know, if Ubre is the centerpiece of a of a, a unit and then you've got Cam Johnson, you've got Ty Jerome, you've got all these, you know, solid young guys that you mm-hmm. can uh, trust to make the right play around Kelly because, you know, probably Kelly's big, biggest weakness is, you know, his tunnel vision. So you, you're hoping that he comes back with, uh, you know, better shooters around him, which uh, allows him to maybe see the floor a little bit better and actually move it around a bit. Yeah, that's the big point that Cole's Wicker made on our podcast, which really got me thinking. It's true. Ubre is not the best decision maker of all time. And yeah. uh, decision making is an incredibly important ability in the NBA, maybe the most overlooked important ability. And it's also one of the ones I think is more difficult to develop. So that's that, and that's an area maybe to tie this up on a uh, on a good note. I think Dario Saric actually does have pretty good decision making for a big. So uh, maybe he will prove us wrong. Maybe he will solidify himself as the power forward. But uh, I promise everybody, I'm going to do my very best if it goes poorly at the power forward position, not to talk about Brandon Clark every single day. I'm going to do my very <laughs> best to treat about it only like once a week, David. I promise. I think it's fitting that we uh, end this positional pod by saying that Dario is potentially the only traditional power forward on this team, and that's why he's in that slot, and that the Suns may be whiffed on taking a future power forward at the same time, Max. You said it, not me. Uh, (laughs) Should we get to seven seconds or less? Let's do it. All right. It is my turn to ask you the questions this week, David. I will ask you three questions for which you have seven seconds or less to answer and for which you have not prepared are you ready 
I am ready. Question number one. Who closes at power forward more often for the Suns this season, Dario or Kelly? Great question off the back of everything we've just discussed. Um, I expect to see a lot of Mikhail in closing lineups, and therefore I'm going to say Kelly Oubre. We have the same answer to that one. David, this one's harder. If you could bring back prime Amari Stoudemire or prime Sean Marion to play power forward for this team, which one are you choosing? Amari Stoudemire was a five, so I'm bringing back Sean Marion. And don't at me if you are upset with that take, anyone (laughs) listening. I think that's the correct take. And also, putting positions aside, I'd rather bring back Sean Marion. Could you imagine him defending with McCall out there, his pit with Aiton? Yes, please. He's another Brandon Clark reference. Yeah, basically. All <laughs> right. Number three, excluding Anthony Davis, who I think is more of a center. Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's just a freak. And Zion Williamson, same. If you could magically take any power forward from across the entire NBA and put him on the Phoenix Suns, who would you take? Ooh, putting me on the spot. Big time. I'll do my answer first. How about that? That's what I'll do for you. Go for uh, it. My answer is Pascal Siakam. Uh, the answer being the age is nice, so grow into it. And also, when you exclude the guys I excluded, power forward starts to look pretty ugly. Power forward does look pretty ugly. I, I looked at a uh, top 30 power forwards that was written before the start of last season, and I'm pretty sure TJ Warren was somewhere up there. And then the oh, three God. guys that we talked about uh, in Gordon, Love, and Griffin were all very, very high at the top. So I'm going to jump off the back of that. I'm going to dive into a very healthy-looking Kevin Love as the guy I would happily put on this team. That is nice. And I uh, just to tie to our podcast, I very was very close to saying Blake Griffin. I really do think he's perfect with this team. I would love it. But uh, went with Pascal for the contract and the age and all that stuff. Yeah, the the thing that I touch on with Blake, who I also love, is a healthy Blake Griffin, who is a great passer and yes. someone you can run your offense through. Uh, Max, you are one of these people, but if you are high on point book, uh, Blake Griffin's the, exactly the kind of power forward that you'd want to bring into the Suns lineup. Oh, you could put a beautiful lineup around Booker, Mikel, Blake Griffin, and Aiton. They just get yep. a shooter in there. Maybe it's Cam Johnson, but... That's it for us, guys. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Last week, I promised I'd read a recent review that we received and loved, and I'm going you to love that promise. I'm going to do it right now. Uh, this comes from Ruler underscore. He says, I love Max and David. We love you too, Ruler. They are the only guys that interact with you online without a hint of condescension. They answer your questions and respect your opinions, no matter how crazy. David is an expert on cat machinations, and Max is great at player evaluations. I enjoy the various segments on the show, and I particularly like when David stumps Max with his trivia questions. Give these guys a listen. You won't be disappointed. Now, David, that's just the nicest damn thing ever, and all I can say is I love Ruler. Yep, and uh, Ruler actually reached out to me on DM after I posted that um, review on Twitter because we were so happy about reading it, Max. So shout out to our good friend who we both interact with, on Twitter quite a bit, actually, and I'll let you know after we jump off this who that was. But also shout out to Super No Lever and 1968 who gave us reviews after our crossover pod with the Locked On guys. And, yeah, again, we just love to read these out, particularly because we want to show you guys we do actually pay attention to them 
And Max, as you said, getting a review like that one that you read out, um, that makes our day because it, it definitely uh, gives us feedback along the way, lets us know what people are really excited to listen to. And on that note, I would uh, encourage people to tell us which position they'd like us to do next in this positional series because we would happily take suggestions on that as well, Max. Yeah, absolutely. And if you have questions, now that you know what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, if you have questions about any of the positional situations, feel free to, to shoot them at us. Uh, we'll make room for them in the podcast, I assure you. But uh, David, anything else? That's it. It is mighty cold in Melbourne today. Uh, I was going to ask you at the top, how hot is it in Phoenix right now? Uh, it, last week it was getting to the 110 to 115 range, which was tough, but I think we're down to like 105 right now. So it's, uh, it's cool breezy out here, my friend. Yeah, we're maxing out at about 10 degrees Celsius, which I looked up again and is about 50 Fahrenheit, I think. So we're, we're at polar opposites at the moment, Max. We are. That's kind of fun. I do like how that whole thing works. I think the toilet water also goes the other way, and that's an urban myth. <laughs> that's a Simpsons myth, but we'll end on that. <laughs> okay, let's end on me being confused by the Simpsons. Uh, thanks, everybody.